Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. I hope you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions of Christians by doing something most don't do. And that is having just real and, and, and honest conversations about things that matter. So often we want to play it safe. When in reality, the world's not safe. And I think Christians do a great disservice um, by feeding misconceptions about Jesus by just not being real. And that's what we're trying to do with this show. Uh, I do pastor a church. The church is located just outside of Athens, Georgia. I am a born and bred Georgia Bulldog. Uh, We are getting right in the midst of uh, college football season, which is my, my favorite time of the year, not just because it's entering the fall and we're getting uh, the leaves changing colors and it's starting to cool off, but uh, the Braves are plowing through, heading to playoffs, Lord willing, and uh, Georgia Bulldogs are in full swing. So the church is named Calvary 316, uh, mainly because we're located off of Highway 316, although there's some wonderful 316 verses uh, in the Bible. You can, uh, uh, you can go to Blue Letter Bible and, uh, and search for them and read them on your own. Great 316 verses, um, but at the same time, uh, we're basically located off of Highway 316, and so we are Calvary 316. If you are listening on the podcast, if you're local, uh, please come check us out. Be my guest one Sunday morning. Our service is at 1030. You can learn more about the church uh, by visiting calvary316.com. Today's topic, I think, is an interesting one because of how relevant it is. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, today's topic is, is maybe the most relevant of any topic we've ever discussed on the radio show. And, and, and that's the fact that, that regardless of whatever your religious beliefs are or aren't, uh, whether you're a, a, a Mormon or a Jehovah witness, a Christian, an atheist, a Buddhist, and uh, a Muslim, whatever your religious belief is happens to be doesn't really matter or uh, let's say you're like i'm not religious at all whatever your philosophical position happens to be like regardless there is one idea one idea one concept maybe the only concept that everyone agrees on that's universally accepted and that is the simple fact uh, that everyone's gonna die I mean, if you really begin to think about it, the statistics on death are incredible. Uh, I had my producer do a bunch of research on this, and, uh, and his, his feedback to me um, after the copious amounts of, of data mining, uh, it's, it's a truth that one out of, and brace yourself for it, one out of every one person's uh, dies. <laughs> like literally, um, you're going to die, I'm going to die, we're all going to die. Yay! I know that's a really encouraging uh, tune in to the Outlaw Radio Show for Pastor Zach to tell you you're going to die. But it's the truth. I mean, it is, it is the truth. Like, there is no philosophical position that doesn't have you dying at some point. There's no religious position that, has you, that doesn't have you dying at some point. Um, death comes for us all. Like, no one, regardless of, like, uh, your ec- social economic status, uh, the amount of money that you have, or don't have, uh, how educated you are or aren't, um, how a, a acclaimed you are, famous you are, how much you've achieved like or not achieved, uh, the, the guy that, that you know invents the cure for cancer and the guy that, that spends his entire life smoking weed in his parents' basement playing video games are, are going to share the exact same fate. And that kind of a crazy thought? Like the, the person that will come up with a cure to a disease uh, that's been getting us and the guy that literally lives his life and does nothing. Both have the same fate. Like the end of their story uh, from an earthly perspective will be identical. Now, one might be surrounded by friends and loved ones, and the other just not, just drops dead. But I can't even tell you which of those two in that scenario it would be. Most of the time, guys that uh, are really driven are very lonely, and the guy that smokes a bunch of dope in his parents' basement has a lot of friends. I mean, I'm just, just spitting it, man, just being real. So death, man, death comes for everyone. It's, it's trippy to, to imagine that absolutely every single person that's listening 
to this show, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, every one of you, collectively, we all will die. I got to tell you, uh, for our 10-year wedding anniversary, uh, we decided to do something totally outside of the box. Uh, Jess, Jess and I celebrating 10 years. Now, I, I married a great woman um, for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is that she knows me very well and still married me. Um, you know, I outpunted my coverage, um, but it just was a, an act of pure grace uh, that she found anything... Uh, about me, marryable. That's not even a word, but you get what I'm saying. Anything about me that she found, yeah, worth marrying. I, it's it's an act of God's grace, and 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 the fact that um, she had to have gone through just a season of temporary insanity, um, in which I struck quick, married her, and then she woke up to a new reality. <laughs> anyway, I'm not a romantic. It's a character flaw. Uh, it's the byproduct of of hurt. Uh, maybe one day I'll tell you the story. Uh, when Jessica and I met, I, I had I had no interest in romance, uh, and yet I, I liked her, and and she was chill with that, and we just hung out, had fun, and there was no like this. There was no expectations, you know. Like um, Valentine's Day came up, and I was like, Yeah, I don't do Valentine's Day. Uh, I think it's a uh, made up holiday by Hallmark. Uh, it's commercialism, and and I just I just don't do it anymore. And she lovingly rolled with it. Um, but when we got married, knowing me, Jessica came and was like, "Okay, I need a deal. Like we need to we need to make a deal. Um, I know you're going to struggle to make a big deal out of our wedding anniversary every year, so I'm not going to ask you to do that. You know, acknowledge it. We go to dinner. Cool. Don't have to be elaborate. Don't have to be romantic. But but what I do want. What I do want is a one, our first anniversary, go big, five, ten intervals of five. If you just handle the intervals of every, if, if every five years, Zach, you can step up to the plate, I'll forgive the other four. To which I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I think I can roll with that negotiation. And so, you know, one, we, we, we went big and then, and then five, we rented a house at the beach and then 10, we ended up uh, really wanting to do something crazy, something we'd never done. Now, we were talking about getting pregnant. That was in the cards. Uh, Zika was all over the Caribbean, um, which freaked us out. And so we decided to go to New Orleans. We, we rented a house in New Orleans with some friends of ours. We had a blast. One of the most interesting things that we did, though, was we did a tour of the oldest, the oldest uh, cemetery not just in New Orleans, but it's called Louis the 14th, like in North America. I mean, the dates, I mean, go back before the revolution. I mean, it's crazy. And you know, the most amazing aspect of the place is even as old as it was, I mean, people were just, they were just dying to get into it. Okay. That was a bad pastoral joke. Sorry. Um, I mean, I will say that the, 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 the party was kind of dead. That's another bad joke, but, Mortality, death, everyone's going to die. Greek philosopher, Epicurus, and I love quoting like Greek philosophers, so you think I read Greek philosophy? I, I don't. I just Googled this, uh, but it's still, still relevant. Uh, he stated, it is possible to provide security against all other ills, but as far as death is concerned, we men live in a city without walls. And it's true. Roman poet Horace, he said, quote, pale death beats equally at the poor man's gate and at the palaces of kings. You see, death, death is this great equalizer that no human being can escape. Like the destiny of death, you can run from. And I don't know if, you, if you've seen this, but our society is obsessed with death and, and maybe and maybe said a better way we're obsessed with prolonging death running from death living longer like have you have you noticed that that our society why is our society 
so obsessed with eating correctly or, or exercising daily, working out routinely, dieting. Like we are a society obsessed with health. Why? Because we want to live longer. Now, now think about that for a moment. Um, I'm not a health nut. I'm not a health fanatic. There's just too much, too much about it all that just doesn't, doesn't jive with me. I've seen people, you know, die hard runners. They've been running forever and they die of a heart attack while they're running. Um, and I've seen people, man, uh, like my great grandmother, she didn't care what she ate. Uh, she ate, she lived to 102. Um, you know, it wasn't like we use trans fats. It was like pig fat and delicious food and yet just live forever. Just live to 102 and was healthy the whole time. Um, like it just, there's a lot of this, like, I, I, I think a lot of it boils down to your genetics and just when it's your time as opposed to like health. Now, if you could tell me, I will say this, if you could tell me, Zach, you know, if you work out, if you start walking or running, uh, you could prolong your life in your prime. Like there would be some incentive to that. Right. So like, like I just stop aging for another 10 years. So I get like another 10 years in my thirties that would have some appeal. Right. And yet what people don't realize is I'm extending my life. So instead of dying at 90, you're going to die at 98. That's great. So instead of like, um, one year in the old folks home by yourself alone, it's going to be like seven, man. I'm really glad I ate healthy. Uh, so I could have like 10 more years of dementia. Like, I just don't like the, the appeal of living longer in such a state. Now I'm not knocking old people, but I th even think like the old people are like, yeah, I get it, man. Like my great grandmother at a at hundred, we went out for a birthday. She was like, I just want to die. Everyone I know has died. Their kids have died. Uh, I just want to go home and be with Jesus. Um, I get it, but we are, we, we live in a culture obsessed with death immortality living forever escaping that destiny let, let me tell you about a website there's a website out there it's called deathclock.com you ever heard of it deathclock.com now, now what you do is you go to this website and they ask you for like three bits of information you know your age do you smoke your body mass fat whatever they ask for a, a little bit of information about you and then, and then you hit calculate and what the website does based upon this limited information is they, they calculate and give you the day that you're going to die. They provide you a date that you're going to die. Um, I did this and I'm, I'm pleased to inform you, um, that I'm going to die on May 26th, 2068. Um, it's nice to know I'm going to get into the sixties, um, and I'll die just three days shy of my 85th birthday, which is great. Um, so right at the point where life's declining and I can no longer play golf or preach, uh, I'm going to die and go be with Jesus. And, and, and that's okay with me. Deathclock.com. We have websites now where you can go and calculate your death. Uh, not to say that, that that's going to be the, the day that you die. No man knows the day of the hour. Um, you could die by the end of this episode. I hope you don't. I could die by the end of this episode. You would hear that because this is pre-recorded and probably would never air anyway. But my point is death freaks us out. And you know, what's, what's interesting about that, doesn't matter your religion, your philosophy, where you come from, what your upbringing is, where you live, death freaks everybody out. And yet, have we ever really taken a moment to maybe just take a step back and ask ourselves this question? Why? Like, if death is such a natural part of life to the fact that everyone, everyone faces it, then why are we freaked out about it? What about death hits us in our soul in such a way that we just don't know what to do about it? Well, it's that question. I think that's an interesting question that we're going to pick up when we come back here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. 
This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show, probably our most morbid episode we've ever had. We're talking about death, and specifically, Talking about the, the, the reality that death, while every single human being will face it, still freaks us out. Like, have you ever really thought about that? Something so natural is so scary. English poet Barry Cornwall, this is the way that he described death. He described death as the tyrant of the imagination. That there's something about it that just strikes fear within the hearts of all men. I, I'm a, a pretty pretty big fan of Apple computers. Not to say that I, I rubber stamp the company, um, but I'm a big fan of their products. I bought the original iPhone, the, f- the original one. I had the four gig, four gigs. It's crazy. And quickly upgraded to the 8 gig. You know, thought, there's no way I'll ever fill 8 gigs. Now I have like 1,000 gigs. I bought the first iPad. I've always been been a very big fan of Apple. And Apple wouldn't, wouldn't have existed without Steve Jobs. But in, in 2005, Steve Jobs, who I don't know if he was a graduate of Stanford University or if he had dropped out before. Maybe he was given a doctorate, you know, for not doing anything. But anyway, he, he was invited to speak at the graduation to do the commencement address. And I want to very quickly read for you this quote. Steve Jobs. He says, No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be. Because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Death. Death even freaked out a guy like Steve Jobs to the point that he had to, to really do a lot of, of, of mental gymnastics to come up with just a logic for it. I mean, how depressing death, the single best invention of life, life's change agent. He, he's true. He's, he's speaking a truth, but how depressing that being the outlook you know, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that death freaks out most people because it's often very difficult to reconcile death with what I'll call our practical philosophy. We live in a, 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 a society, America, Western civilization, that is really based upon a philosophy known as naturalism. Now, now let, me, let me give you kind of an academic definition of naturalism. Naturalism states that natural laws and forces operate in the world, and nothing exists beyond the physical universe. Nature is the only reality, and matter is all that has ever been or ever will be. Everything that, quote, is, is best accounted for by reference to material principles, Things such as mass and energy and other physical and chemical properties accepted through empirical study and intellectual reasoning. 
Furthermore, naturalism holds that the supernatural concepts of spirits and deities, gods, and the miraculous, supernatural, are not real and have no room in the intellectual community. Now, we understand that, that this, is, this is the position of Western culture, going all the way back to, to, to Darwin, the theory of evolution, trying to come up with an explanation for what we see, for what is without the involvement of a supernatural being, of God, reconciling science with atheism. No God, so how do, how do things exist? How are things come, coming into being? It, that, naturalism is the basis of this science that gives us this, this core philosophy. There's no room for God in the explanation. It's why uh, Christian scientists... You know, intellectual, um, intelligent design gets frowned upon, gets run out of the, the, the public square, has no room in academia. Naturalism. Now, if, if you hold to naturalism, which, by the way, is, is taught in elementary schools and middle schools and public high schools, is the primary philosophy that drives all science departments and philosophy departments in every major university. I mean, this is the underpinning. We, we have about 50 years of ramming this crap down society's throat, naturalism, without ever considering how naturalism defines man. You see, the naturalist position of man is that man is therefore just one piece of the physical universe. No, no, no part of man, accord, according to the naturalist, makes him any different than the rest of the plant, animal, or mineral universe. Man's existence can only be explained by natural processes. Since man is the chance result of biochemical evolution, he is not duty-bound to adhere to a set of moral rules. Man's free to live to please himself. It's hedonism. Naturalism is the basis for hedonism. The only rules that are available are those of man's own collective making and since man differs on which rules are the best there's nothing ultimately binding that, that explains so much of what we see in today's society you know we get so bent out of shape when we see when we see people act like animals how can they act like that well we've We've taught them that they're just animals. Like that there's nothing that makes humanity any different from the rest of, of the natural world around him. Man has no soul. Man doesn't live forever. Death is the end. You see, let me explain what the naturalist position on death is. Naturalism, a natural position on man. Now, this is what it claims about death. Death for the naturalist. By definition, simply brings about man's extinction. Like according to one prominent naturalist, he write, quote, human destiny is just an episode between two oblivions. Man lives, he suffers, and he dies. I, I know this comes as no surprise, but I'm a big sports fan. We talk about sports a lot on the show. Big football fan. Not a huge Hall of Fame inductee ceremony type individual. I don't follow it that deeply. I do with baseball, but not so much with football. But I did see a clip. So Ray Lewis, who's a linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens, incredible football player, he made this statement, and I saw a clip during his speech, where he talked about how every human being's tombstone has the date they were born and the date that they die. That every tombstone has that. But the only thing, Ray Lewis said, that separates men from men is what they do with that little dash. What you do with the life that you're given between birth and your death. And I know what he means. But it's illogical, actually. Because he wants to say that that's your legacy. For what? 
If death is the end of your existence, why do you care? How would you know? What does it matter? If you're born and then you die, that dash, your life literally meant what that was. That is but a vapor. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes writes about this a lot. He describes life as vain, vanity, vapor, worthless. Especially if you adopt a philosophy of life that doesn't include God or the supernatural or an afterlife. You see, if you adopt the theory of evolution, you adapt a naturalistic standpoint or philosophy of life itself, thus the purpose of man being an animal, thus the destiny of man being death and oblivion. Man lives. He lives a life of, yes, some accomplishment and a lot of suffering. None of it's meaningful because he dies. There are very, very, very few people that are ever known or remembered after the generation alive when they died, dies. Like, let's just give you an exercise. N name your parents. Okay, good. That was easy. Uh, name your grandparents, both sides. Okay, maybe, maybe a little bit more difficult just to get their names, but you remember them. You know, it's hard to remember their, their name, Carol or Shirley, because you called them grandma. Okay, I got you. Now, name their parents. Oof, that's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? How about this? Name their parents. Your great-great-grandparents. I can't. I can't get there. I can't get to my, my great-grandparents, many of them. Some of them I can, most of them I can't. Many of them I can because I, in researching this segment, called my grandparents to get their names. My point, though. Once one or two generations goes, unless you've done something really famous or very infamous, you're not going to be remembered. From the Civil War, the two most famous figures are who? Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth. One did something amazing, one did something terrible. They both live in immortality. The likelihood of you, not so much. But we'll come back to that thought here on the Outlaw Radio Show. You know, there's a saying out there that there's only two guarantees in life, death and taxes. And today we're talking about the latter, death. It's something that's going to come to everyone. Pastor Zach is tackling this head on. Hey, be sure to stay with us for part two of today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Here's Pastor Zach with more on the uncomfortable topic of death. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about the dangers and really, and really the byproduct of this philosophy that we teach all of our children. That our public institutions ram down our children's throats. And it's more than just the theory of evolution. That's a component. But it's the philosophy that the theory of evolution, the scientific idea, um, creates the foundation for. And that is the idea of naturalism. If, if mankind is nothing but the, the, the chance, the accident, lots of statistics and probability, if you're an accident, then you don't have meaning. If you're just the, the process of accidental biological chance, then you don't have a destiny. You don't have purpose. There's no meaning. There's no point. Naturalism sets this framework where people are set free to live according to their own moral compass to what makes them feel good. Hedonism, pleasure. Why do I care about somebody else when I die? I die. It's it. It's oblivion. And, and, and understand, in, in the scientific community, the, the, the theory of evolution has wide-range support. In the early 90s, a Gallup poll of Americans found that about 5% of scientists identified themselves as creationists, leaving an astounding 95% of American scientists teaching Darwinian principles. In the mid-2000s, 38 Nobel laureates issued a statement stating, quote, intelligent design is fundamentally unscientific. It can't be tested as scientific theory because its central conclusion is based on belief in the intervention of a supernatural agent. So many things wrong with that. In 2005, in October, a coalition representing more than 70,000 Australian scientists and, and science teachers issued a statement saying that intelligent design is not science 
and calling on all schools not to teach intelligent design as science because it fails to qualify on every account as a scientific theory. And don't think that evolution doesn't have wide-ranging support in Christian communities, which I think is just absolutely insanity. The National Center for Science Education found that of Americans and the 12 largest Christian denominations, at least 77% belong to churches that support evolution education. At one point, that figures as high as 89%. These religious groups include the Catholic Church, as well as various denominations of Protestantism, including United Methodist Church, National Baptist Convention, Evangelistic Lutheran Church of America, Presbyterian Church, Episcopal Churches, among others. Now back to the question, right? Why does death without eternity bother us so much? Because that's what we're teaching. And why does that bother us if that's just natural? And, and note that it's more than just an intellectual or a philosophical problem. Let me explain it this way. Let me use an illustration. Though I might want to fly like a bird. Have you ever had those dreams, right? That you could just jump off a building and flap your, your arms and you could fly around like Superman. Maybe not even flap your, your arms because that would be silly. But you just fly. Like, you might want to fly like a bird. But you know what doesn't happen? It doesn't bother you that you can't fly. You might want to fly, but it doesn't bother you that you can't. Why? Why is that? It bothers It doesn't bother you. Because you were never biologically created to fly in the first place. You might really want to jump off a building and soar, but it doesn't bother you that you can't because you were never built that way it was it was never natural for you to do that you can't science fundamentally explains why you can't fly and that seems consistent with what you intrinsically know to be true so it doesn't bother you follow however and this is this is the point when science tells you that death is the end of your existence Regardless of your intellectual or philosophical bent, you find that deeply bothering. Why? Because you weren't created to die. You you see, on on the surface, the two issues seem to be the same. Nature says I can't fly because I'm not a bird. Nature also says that I cease to exist when I die because I'm nothing more than matter. But can't we agree That while I don't freak out over my inability to fly, I do freak out with the notion of death. And the reason that contrary to the scientific consensus, you, my friend, were created to live forever. You were not created to fly, so it doesn't bother you. You can't. But when science says you're not going to live forever, that bothers you because you were created to live forever. That death is is not the end of your existence. Go back to the creation account. Man created Adam, and then made from Adam Eve. But both Adam and Eve were not created to die. Biologically, man was created to live forever. How that exactly works, I don't know. But that's the truth. And that God said that the wages of sin would be what? Death. He says, if you eat of the fruit, if you rebel, if you disobey, what happens? Death enters the human equation. That means death was never part of the human equation. Have you ever noticed that if you experience the death of someone that you love, you just can't figure out how to cope? We call it the five stages of grief. But do you know what the five stages of grief are? Are Your body filtering through everything it possibly can to figure out how to deal with your loss but it never works. You go through five stages of grief because none of the stages work and then you just deal. Why? Because no man was ever created to die. Man wasn't created to deal with death. Death itself reminds us of sin and fallenness, but it also reminds us of eternity. Life. Death. You know, the reality is that the struggle to find meaning and purpose in life 
gets compounded by your position on death. Like it's only the fact that you live forever, that death is not the end of anything, but the beginning of something new. And that based upon how you live this life, it'll determine the next. Like that provides meaning and purpose. But if you don't have what's next, you, you lose any source or any source of meaning, which, which means life becomes meaningless. It becomes very difficult to do that. I mean, why live? Have you ever thought of this? Like, well, why live when there's nothing to accomplish? Or why live if you've accomplished what you've accomplished? Like life without dreams, life without ambition is very difficult. Have you ever heard of what's known as the 27 Club? Have you ever heard of it? Twenty, The 27 Club. The 27 Club is, is it's a really weird thing, honestly. But it's, it's a group of musicians who died at the age of 27. Musicians that that reached the pinnacle of success and then had nowhere to go. Most of them committed suicide. Let me just give you some names of those in the 27 Club. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison from The Doors, Brian Jones. And you're like, who's Brian Jones? That's an early member of the Rolling Stones. Pigpen McCurman. Who's that? Early member of the Grateful Dead. Kurt Cobain. Nirvana. My heyday. Smells like teen spirit. Kurt Cobain died, committed suicide at the age of 27. Most recently, you have Amy Winehouse. Just a, a brilliant vocalist, musician, but very troubled. Ended up overdosing. Like, what all these people have in common is that by their 27th birthday, they had, they had accomplished their dreams. And then they were really struggling with what's next. See, life without meaning, life without purpose, life without goals and ambitions is a life that's difficult to live. You see, in, in light of death's ability to strip all life of meaning, we must ask, right? Is there a purpose? Is there a purpose? Is there a, a point to living? You know, and Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24. He says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. You see, Solomon's answer to this question is that, th that there's really nothing on earth that can afford man lasting satisfaction or provide eternal hope. Basically, as he says over and over again, that there's nothing under the sun that can provide you meaning. But there is something above the sun, the sun himself. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show, our final block. I want to kind of wrap things up in this discussion about death. Um, and, I, and I want to do so kind of very pointedly. Life is best lived backwards. And today, friend, if, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I want you to ask yourself what happens when you die. I know that's not a pleasant thought. I know it's one that you don't like to think much about. But really... What does your science teacher tells you happens when you die? Well, your science teacher, though they might not ever say it specifically, say that you just cease to be. What happens? Well, Zach, I, to be very honest with you, I, I don't really know. And does that freak you out? Yeah, it really does, man. But to, it's, it's in that moment that I ask you a question. Like, what if you could know? 
Like, what if you could know what happens the moment you die? What, what do you think? If I could tell you, friend, you don't have to be scared. The moment you breathe your last, I can tell you exactly what happens. Well, if we're being logical, you would say, Zach, that <laughs> I would be interested in knowing, but no, no offense. But what makes, what makes you trustworthy? Like, how do you know? Have you died? How do you know for sure, Zach? Like, how do you know really what happens when you die? Well, I mean, you do have a point. So let me, let me just say, like, what if, just hypothetically, there was someone who legitimately died. Now, I'm not talking about those, those kind of weirdos that are like, yeah, I was dead for 90 seconds, and let me tell you all about it. The Apostle Paul, by the way, was stoned outside of Iconium to the point of death. He said he was taken to the third heaven. He said what he saw, he can't even put into words. Words wouldn't even do justice. So if you, if you have anyone that's like, yeah, let me tell you all about heaven, they haven't seen it because they couldn't if Paul couldn't. My point. Let's say, aside from the weirdos that write books that are in Christian stores, let's say there was someone 100% without a question dead. I mean, to the point that uh, no one that was present that saw them die questioned it, that there was actually an ex- executioner present that, that validated it, that, that there was an actual autopsy done, that there was no doubt in anyone's mind that that person was at, to the point they got buried. <laughs> they got buried, and, and they were there for three days. Like, no question, that person had died. What if, let's just say hypothetically, that person then comes back to life? I know that seems improbable. Improbable. Doesn't seem likely. But let's just say, just go with me, right? You want to know what happens about at, at death, what happens next. And you don't want to take my word for it because I haven't died. So how do I know? And, and I, I'm conceding that. So I'm just saying, let's say there's a person who did die, can't debate it, and then came back alive. Also can't debate that. There were over like 500, let's say 511 people, different instances, 10 different occasions, saw that person alive. And then that person had a lot to say about what happens next after death. Well, yes, I haven't died. So it's just an intellectual exercise for you to take my word for it. But what about the person who did die, then came back to life and is like, bro, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what happens next. Does does his word carry any weight with you? Like you're freaked out about what happens when you die, but there is someone that died and came back and says, "Bro, I can I can tell you what all happens." Would you want to know? You see, see, his name is Jesus. Jesus died. He he died on a cross, and then he was buried for three days, and then he was resurrected to life. And it's Jesus who tells you. What happens? Death is not the end of your story, friend. As a matter of fact, death is just a transitioning point. It's a pivot point. Death is not the end of you. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's the translation into a new context, a new reality, a new life. We call it everlasting life. And that what that life after your physical death looks like is 100% then determined by a decision you've made during this life about Jesus. You see, whether you go to heaven or hell, and I'll just simplify it, whether you spend eternity in the presence of God or you spend eternity removed from God will be determined upon whether or not you wanted a relationship with God now or you didn't. You see, the the only criteria is Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant, entering into your rest, or Jesus saying, depart from me because I don't know you. It's all about knowing Jesus. So there's two things that are important about this topic about death. One, it forces you to consider what comes next. And is there any way of knowing? And then if you do know, it makes the decisions you make here all that more important. As Ray Lewis talks about that little dash, it makes it more important. But understand what the dash is all about. It's not about your acclaim. It's not about what you do. It's not about uh, the, the great awards you're given. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's, it's, according to Solomon, it's about one thing. 
pleasing God. It's about pleasing God. So the question then ends up being, if, if pleasing God in this life is what determines what happens after death, well, how do I please God? Like, how does a person please God? Do you please God by going to church? Do you please God by reading the Bible, by praying, by joining a small group, being an accountability partner? Do you please God through your good works, learning to play the guitar, becoming a worship leader, and abstaining from anything that might be joyable? I'm pleasing God because I don't listen to good music. I don't eat good food or good drink. I, uh, I don't wear anything fashionable. I don't watch R-rated movies. I please God by doing all these things. You know what? I, I please God because I don't have any friends that are, are non-believers. And on and on and on the, the list you go. Understand, that's not how you please God. You see, the only way that you please God is by being found in Jesus because Jesus is the only one that's pleased God. You don't please God at all. It's Jesus who has pleased God. See, it's not about what you do that determines what happens after death. It's about who you know. Do you know Jesus or not? You see, it's a relationship with Jesus you see, death is not something, friend, that you have to fear. It's not something that you have to be afraid of. You know, if you've ever been around a believer who's dying, it's amazing. It's amazing the difference between then being around an unbeliever. Death doesn't have to be an unknown. As a matter of fact, what becomes interesting is that death can be the end of suffering, the end of pain, the end of your race. And because it's the end of your race, this is the one life you have to live. What comes next is reward or judgment. Life, death. You're going to die. So am I. But I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because I know death is not the end of me at all. But death is the moment that I enter glory. Death is the moment that I'm, I'm reunited with loved ones. Death is, is the moment I get to see Jesus with my eyes. The very Jesus I've believed for all of these years with my heart. This life, there's nothing in this life that's going to satisfy. So quit looking for it. Quit searching for it. Work your life backwards. Where do I want to go when I'm dead? And then ask, how do I get there? And always remember, <laughs> it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to do a few things. First, contact your local Christian radio station. And just, and just let them know you're thankful that they're carrying this type of programming in your community. It's a thankless job. These people don't make a lot of money. It's really a service. Uh, and just let them know you're listening. It goes a long way. The second thing I want to really encourage you to do is to, to visit our website. Our website is outlawradio.org. And from our website, you can, you can check out our podcast. You can get to our podcast. We have some quick links. Uh, our podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, really anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, and that allows you to listen not just again to this episode. You can listen to all previous episodes. And then with like one click of a button, you can share the episode with anyone in your social media network, anywhere in your, your friend community. It's a very cool thing. Uh, it's also our heart, finally, to connect with you, the audience. Um, there's several ways that you can connect with us. Um, first, uh, email tends to be the easiest. Our email address is info at outlawradio.org. You can also catch us on Facebook, Facebook, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, or our Twitter handle is at radio underscore outlaw. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me this time next week for the outlaw radio show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast 
or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio Podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.